Hello, everybody. Uh, welcome to Metro Praise. Good morning. Yeah, okay. Man, okay, so when they asked me to come up and uh, give a testimony and just to testify, um, I actually just want to just kind of be a little uh, transparent in a sense, and I still want to kind of just hopefully this encourages uh, many of you. Um, not too long ago, I found myself really, uh, I, I've gone, I've come to church, I've been saved, I've given my life to Christ. I've come and done 101, I've come and done 201, I've done many of those things. And even after all those things, I found myself really becoming extremely religious. I don't know if you guys ever found yourself in that situation. But I found myself being really religious, and, and, and I was getting called out on it and seeing it in my everyday life. And then I found myself doing things that I normally would not do, even after I got saved. That were so reminiscent of who I was before I got saved. And more and more I started I started really asking God like what is really going on what is the problem I mean are you not who you say you are do you not change people or do you not make us pure do you not give me a new mind and I started questioning God and and God basically showed me he says you are here I have brought you here I am working in your life you are coming to church you are hearing the word but I'm asking you to obey what you are hearing I'm asking you to do what I'm giving you. I'm, I'm giving you gold. I'm giving you a new life. I've given you a beautiful wife. I've given you great things, great friends, so much love, so much wisdom. That Bible's there for you, and it's open to you at any point in time. And all I ask is that you do what it says. I want to give you guys a scripture. Please excuse my uh, pink iPhone here. This is my wife's. It says uh, Psalms 119, uh, verse 9. It says, how can a young person stay the path of purity, stay on the path of purity? By living according to your word. Another, in another version, it actually says, by obeying your word. Not just hearing what, just hearing it, coming to church, or we're coming to church, and we're raising our hands, but we're actually hearing it and putting it into practice, really believing, not being hypocrites running out here talking to people but believing what we heard so you know what i just i just want to encourage you guys you're here right now because god has brought you here you are here right now because god loves you more than you know but god is saying i got gold right here for you i'm going to show you how you can show this out in every aspect of your life not missing a beat so right now lord we just we just thank you god for your word we thank you for your unconditional love we thank you for caring more than we actually care about ourselves. And God, right now, I pray, Lord, that when we hear this word, when we put our hands up in the air, when we celebrate, God, we celebrate knowing that you have given a new life, God, and there is power in your word, there is power in your name, that there is power in this place. So, Lord, we thank you, Lord. We thank you. We worship you, God, because you're worthy. You're worthy and always will be worthy. In Jesus' name. say amen if you believe that hallelujah how many of you guys ready to get intimate with god this morning how many of you guys ready for something fresh and new come on if you raise your hand and you're ready to worship i want you to come up to the front come on let's get real intimate and close with the lord this morning we want to see you god in a new way god we want to refresh ourselves oh god in your presence come on get close get close get close get close
close this morning. God, we're expecting something new, God. Something fresh in us more with you. Oh, yeah. You are good, Jesus. You are good, God. Come on, we prepare our heart, Father God, for you, Jesus. Have your way, Lord. Have your way, God. Have your way. Have your way, Jesus. Put your hands together this morning.
good and I dance because you are good and I shout because you are good, you are good to me. Come on, if you are thankful for his goodness this morning, can you just lift up your voice in this place? I want you to think of three things that you're thankful for right now. Come on, where you're standing. Lift up your voice. Say, God, I'm thankful. I'm thankful for your love, God. I'm thankful for your goodness, God. I'm thankful for your love, your mercy, your kindness to me. Jesus, we're thankful, Lord. Nothing's going to hold me back. Nothing's going to hold me
you, God, for your awesomeness, your goodness, Lord. God, we can't even begin to count, God, the blessings that you've given us, Lord. We thank you that you're good all the time. God, it doesn't matter what we go through. It doesn't matter what we face. We know that we serve a God that is faithful, a God that is kind all the time. God, we ask for your spirit this morning to saturate this place, Lord. Come on, if you want a fresh touch this morning, can you just raise your hand to say, God, I want something new. I want your spirit fresh and new in this place. Your mercies are new every morning, God. We thank you, Jesus. We want you to be the center of our lives, God. Hallelujah, Jesus. We want you to be the center of our lives, of our church, of our homes, Lord. We just want you, Lord God, in this place. We love you, Jesus. We love you, Lord. We love you, God, in this place.
there's a piece of your heart that doesn't belong to him that you're holding back come on right now is your moment to tell him God everything every part of my heart is yours Lord Jesus every part not just the bad parts not just the parts I want to give away but God the most precious things that I have God belong to you come on this is your moment right now to tell him God everything is yours
morning. Come on, he wants to speak to you. One word from heaven. Come on, you need to rush up here. Come on, it's getting old to you. You're getting used to coming week after week. Come on, and he's saying, don't let it get old. Come on, tell your heart, say, God, I want it to be fresh. I want it to be new. Jesus. Yes, we love you. We want to fall in love with you again and again.
everything, Jesus, over everything, Jesus, over everything, Jesus, Jesus, over everything, over the good, over the bad, over the ugly, over the beautiful, Jesus, you reign, Jesus, you reign, you reign on high. people in this world that are exalting things. There are some people that exalt their jobs. There are some people that exalt money. There are even people in this place that exalt things over God. You have idols in your life. There are things that you put before a holy God. Today, today, lay it down and say, Jesus over everything. Jesus over everything. I will not make my spouse an idol. I will not make my children an idol. I will not make church an idol. I will not make anything an idol. There are false religions. There are false gods that they put, they place it over Jesus. But not in this room today. Not here. Not in Metro Praise International. We're going to make it right. We're going to say, Jesus, you reign. You reign over everything. Over every false god. You are alive. They are dead. You are alive. You reign. You reign. You reign. You reign. Jesus. You reign. You reign. Jesus. Come on, let's sing it softly. And as we sing it again, I want you to think about the things that you have put before God and repent today. Think about the things, if there are things in your life that you have placed over God and God will show you because he's alive and he speaks to his people. If there are things in your life that you put before the Lord, lay it down right now and say no more. Only Jesus. Jesus over everything. Come on, let's sing it out. Let's sing it out.
there are people that might get it wrong. But God, today we say we get it right. We're putting you before everything. Jesus before everything. Jesus over everything. We worship you, God, because you deserve it. Because you are worthy. You are worthy to be worshipped. You are worthy to have all the praise. You are worthy. Worthy, Jesus. Jesus, you are worthy. Hallelujah. Have your way in the hearts of your people this morning, God. As we repented before you. As we laid down our, our idols before you. God, I pray that we would live a new life. I pray, God, that our focus would get off of ourselves and onto you. In Jesus' name, hallelujah. Let's give him a hand clap of praise. Hallelujah. Amen. You can make your way back to your seat. take this time to dismiss our children. You can follow Miss Amy. Amen. My name is Lauren Sajinski. I'm one of the pastoral elders here at MPI. And I want to share a message with you this morning about a God who loves you about a God who loves you so much that he sent his only son to die upon a cross and die a horrible death. He was beaten. He was whipped for you, for me. And what kept him on that cross is his love for you. He is God. He could have said, I'm done. Get me out of here. This hurts. But he didn't. Because what he thought of is humanity. Without this, they're gone. I love them and I don't want them to perish. So I'm going to stay here on this cross as much as it hurts. As much as I want to say, get me off of this thing. He stayed because of you and because of me. Because of his great love for us. It's only through Jesus. See, Jesus paid the price. Jesus is the one that died on that cross. People will lie to you and say there's so many ways, but it's only through Jesus Christ. If you could put my scripture up, it's Acts 4.12. It says, salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. It's only through Jesus. There is not a hundred ways. There is one way. It's a narrow road and few find it. Will you be the few today? Will you be the few? I have chosen to be the few to find the narrow way that leads to Jesus. It's only through his blood that covers our sins. Before all, all the pastors and the leaders in this church were saved. We were busted and disgusted, man. 
we were not the way that you see us right now, but it was when we said, Jesus, I want to serve you. He changed our lives. And I know there are many people in this room, the same thing happened to you, but there may be some that it hasn't happened yet. I used to turn to all kinds of crazy things. I used to find something to save my soul, to comfort me on the inside when I was a sinner. I used to turn to drugs, and it would make me feel good for a moment, but then I would be left more broken, more hurting, more alone, more desperate for something else. I would turn to men, and that wouldn't work either. I would be left broken, hurting, alone. It wasn't until I called on the name of Jesus that I was saved, that I was free from it all, that I was healed on the inside. It's only through Jesus Christ. And if you have that heart today that says, God, I need you. I am nothing without you. I know that you are the only way. He will save you too. And he will save you and he will deliver you and he will restore you and he will heal you. And you will never be the same again. So if that is you in this room, I have a heart of urgency for you today because tomorrow is not promised to any of us. There could be people in this room today that will not be here next week. That is the reality of life. People die in crazy ways, and that could be someone in this room. So I have a heart of urgency. You have the message before you. You have the gospel. You have a God that loves you before you right now. Choose him. Say yes today. We're going to give you that opportunity during our fellowship time. We're going to have Pastor Leilani and Joselito over here to pray for you. If that is you during our time of fellowship, please come talk to them. Talk to them about salvation, about discipleship, how to live a life for the glory of God. Amen. Can you stand to your feet with me? Come on, let's pray. Father, we thank you you are a God that loves us. You are not a God that is far away. You gave your only son because of your great love for humanity. And we thank you, Abba Father. And we pray for every person in this place that doesn't know you. We pray, God, that today would be their spiritual birthday. That today would be the day that they turn their life around and say, I choose Jesus. I leave it all behind. This world has nothing for me. The cross before me, the world behind me. Come on, God, let that be the heart of people today. We love you, God. We thank you for this time. We thank you for the opportunity to have a changed life. We thank you for the opportunity to know you, to love you to hear your voice, to be close to you. In Jesus' name, have your way. Amen. Come on, let's give him a hand clap of praise. Hallelujah. We're going to recite our confession of faith now. This is what we believe. This is what we stand on. Amen. So on the count of three, let's say it together. One, two, three. I believe in one God and creator who is the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. 
the Father who so loved the world, the Son who purchased my salvation in his death, burial, and resurrection, and the Holy Spirit who makes me new and abides in me forever. I believe in the perfect Holy Bible that reveals God's purposes and plans for my life. I believe in the second coming of Jesus who will judge the living and the dead. I believe in the eternal reward of believers in Jesus and the eternal punishment for all unbelievers in Jesus. I believe in the United Church of Jesus Christ built upon apostles and prophets, elders and deacons in which the gates of hell shall not prevail. I believe in the salvation for all mankind. It is by faith alone, in Christ alone, by God's grace alone, and for the glory of God alone. Amen. Go ahead and greet your neighbor. Give him a high five and a hug. All right, all right, everybody. Good morning and welcome to Metro Praise. Why don't you make your way back to your seat? It's so good to have you all with us. So good to have each and every one of you here with us. Please make your way back to your seat. Good morning. Welcome to Metro Praise International. You guys excited to be in the house of God? Come on, who's excited to be here and to get a fresh word from God? I know I am. Here at Metro Praise, we got two main services, Sundays at 10 a.m., Fridays at 7 p.m. It's our Elevate Youth Service. So Elevate. Awesome. I got, some, I got two big announcements for you. Coming up this Wednesday, we're having the Christmas workshop. It's during our family fun night. So families, bring your children, bring your neighbor's kids, bring your nieces and nephews. You're going to have tons of fun. We're going to have food, crafts, 
and games, and there's going to be raffles going on throughout the night. And one of the big raffles is a bike for one of our little kiddos, all right? And then, ladies, we're also going to have a fun time in the back. We're going to be doing uh, crafts and not crafts, but games and a good time of fellowship. So some of you ladies, I want to come out. I want us to hang out and have a good time in the back as our kids are out here uh, doing their games. And then also Sunday, December 21st, this Sunday coming up at 10 a.m., we're having our Christmas party right here at the church. We're going to have, yes, come on, give it up for that Christmas party. We're going to have an awesome talent show. We have tons of acts that are going to come out and just display their talent before you and for the glory of God. We're going to have free family portraits. We're going to have gifts for all of the kiddos. And then at the end of service, we are also having baptisms, all right? So it's going to be a very powerful night, a morning, actually. So if you have not been baptized or you know somebody that needs to get baptized, please talk to me. We want to prepare you. We want to get you excited. Baptism is the outward profession of what God has already done in your life. So it's going to be very powerful. Invite your family members and friends. And here at Metro Praise, we have a vision of loving God and loving people, which are the two greatest commandments. Everything we do here at Metro goes through that. We love God and we love people. And we have a discipleship strategy of connect, mentor, and send. We want to make sure that you are connected to Jesus because it's all about him, right? And then we want to make sure that you're connected through one of the life groups. Life groups are places where we gather together and we share life. And we do that in different settings. We have something for everybody. And here's what's going on this week. Today we have our single men's life group taking place at Nini's Deli at 1230. So if you're a single man, you want to hit that up. And then Tuesday, we have our Righteously Redeemed Elevate Life Group happening here at the church at 6 p.m. Wednesday is the Christmas party again. And then when it's not our fun nights, we have King's Kids Ministry. It's a program for our kids happening at 6.30 every Wednesday, infant all the way to 11 years old. Thursday, we have the Resistance Elevate Life Group happening here at 6. All right. Friday, we got the Govea Bible Study and the Walker Bible Study happening at 7 p.m. So find one that's close to your location. We also provide childcare. And then Saturday, we have evangelism happening at 5 p.m. Me here at the church. And you're going out into the city of Chicago and you're sharing your faith with the lost. Amen. Are you guys excited about what God's doing here? And so after you get connected, we want to make sure you get mentors. Somebody wants to teach you about Jesus, wants to teach you what the Word of God says. And as you get mentored, we want to make sure you get sent out because we have a goal of 100,000 disciples here in the city of Chicago, 50 churches here, and 500 all around the world. If you believe God is doing it, come on, say amen. Amen. Please turn with me to your Bibles. Or if you want to go to the giving book found on the Metro Praise website, we're going to go into our lesson on tithes and offerings. We're actually talking about hindrances, overcoming hindrances. And the scripture today is in Proverbs 3, verse 5 through 10. Overcoming pride. How many of you think you have pride? Come on. If you don't think you have pride, you probably have it really bad. Okay. Um, we all deal with pride. And it's not an outward sin. Somebody can't point it out. It's something that's in our heart. And God deals with that pride. God says he opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. And as we approach God, that's pride is something that he's going to touch on. And pride affects our giving. And it affects our generosity because we make it all about ourselves. So here's a definition to, a, to uh, overcoming hindrance. A hindrance is something that prevents us from being obedient to God's commands. All right, so let's say you're walking and you're saying, I want to be obedient to that command. I see it, I'm walking, I'm walking, and I hit 
a hindrance. There's something that's stopping me from going, from hitting that, from obeying that command. And God says he wants you to overcome that hindrance, which can be pride. And so the scripture that we are reading, if you can scroll up, please, because I can't see it in my phone. I'm sorry. It says, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, submit to him and he will make your path straight. Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and shun evil. This will bring health to your body and nourishment to your bones. Honor the Lord with your wealth, with your first fruits of all your crops. Then your barns will be filled to overflowing and your vats will brim over with new wine. Amen. Somebody say trust in the Lord. Here are the main points for, for this passage. Number one, trust in him, trust in the Lord. You cannot lean in two directions at the same time. So you can't trust in him and trust in yourself at the same time. Lean fully on God's commands, not on your ways. Trust in him by being obedient to all he commanded, especially in tithes and offerings, all right? Number two, don't be wise in your own eyes. The Bible teaches that there is a way that seems right to a man, but in the end, it leads to death. Don't allow greed and selfish ambition to have you neglect the wisdom of God's teachings about giving and receiving. So it may seem wise to me, let me keep all of my money, and I'm not going to be obedient in my tithes and offerings, but that's only going to bring, what, a curse over my finances. Everything that I have, it's because of God. 100% of it belongs to him, and he's saying just obey me with the 10%. So don't be wise in your own eyes and say, I'm just going to outsmart God. No, you don't be wise. Trust in him and trust in his commands. And number three, honor the Lord with your wealth. When you use your finances to support God's kingdom, God's kingdom business, he will honor your earthly business. And you guys heard us say, you know, trust God, uh, obey God, and, and make it about his kingdom, and he will take care of your life. He will take care of your business, right? In summary, humble, humbly honor God with your wealth in your giving. Please stand to your feet with me. This is something that God is going to continue to work in our lives and show us in his scriptures. But if we're humble and we approach this whole giving thing and we trust him and say, God, I don't really know uh, if I can trust you 100% with my finances. It's really something I might be struggling, but humbly obey and just know God will meet you there. So if you want to apply this lesson to your life, you say, I want to start somewhere. Number one, be faithful in giving your tithes, which is 10% of your total income, and offering become anything that you give after your tithe. And number two, repent if you have allowed pride to make you disobedient in giving. Ask God to teach you how to live a, a humble and generous life. Amen. Let's recite this uh, confession over ourselves this morning. One, two, three. By the power of the Holy Spirit and the guidance of the word of God, I will not be hindered by greed, laziness, unbelief, discouragement, or fatigue in my giving to God. I will overcome bitterness, impatience, pride, fear, idolatry, and live a life of obedience in my finances. Amen. When you give your 10% here at the church, it goes into the, t into the general fund. Anything that you give after that goes into the offering. Now your offering can be broken up. You decide where that offering goes, whether it goes to the building fund or the missions. And right now we're taking up the missions fund. We're closing up our giving, our pledges towards the Philippines missions trip that we're taking next year. And guys, we've done amazing and God has showed up in such a powerful way. So 
continue being faithful in those pledges unto the Lord. And God is going to meet a great need as we take a trip to the Philippines. Amen. And so let's recite the scripture together in Acts 20, 35. The Lord Jesus himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that everything we have, dear God, you've entrusted to us. We are to be good stewards, dear God, in our finances and all that you've placed before us. And I pray, dear God, against pride in our hearts. I pray that we would humbly, dear God, come before you. We will be faithful in our tithes, dear God. We will be faithful in our offerings as we advance your kingdom in this world, dear God. Have your way in our finance. We pray for promotions. We pray for job opportunities for people. Father, we pray that for diligent hands, dear God, to set their hands to, to work, dear God, in this life and to be a blessing to those around them. In Jesus' name, and everybody said amen. Please come up as you give. Thank you. Amen. If you're ready to learn about the new creation, say, I'm ready. Can I get a woo-woo? Come on, can I get a Jesus? One more time, Jesus. Amen. Open up your Bibles with me to 2 Corinthians 5, 17. So good to see you here. Holiday season. My wife and kids got sick, so pray for us. How many have been getting a little bit sicky-poo? Anybody? A lot of you guys, some of you guys. Okay, I'm glad you're here this morning. That's all that counts, right? I tried to bring my wife. I was like, you look fine to me. You can make it. She's like, get out of there. Get out. I'm like, no, just come. You know, I got almost got into a fight. I actually had to apologize by text. Has anybody ever had to apologize to their loved one, their husband, wife by text? Praise God. How many know I got to apologize again when I get home, though? I got, I got to apologize maybe three more times at home over the lunch. I got to make sure mom all right now because I messed it up. I messed it up. I thought I was encouraging her, like, you look good, but she, she didn't buy that. She did not buy. If you're with me in 2 Corinthians 5, 17, please say I'm there. This is a great series that we've been doing all the month of December, all month of November. All the, line, uh, all the messages are online. The notes are online today. You can follow along. It's about your identity in Christ. Everybody say this with me. I am who God said I am, and I can do what he said I can do. Now say with a little swag, say I am who he said I am. I can do. I can do what he said I can do. Amen. Anybody want to say it in Spanish? Oh, now you get, now you get, now you get silente or quiente. <laughs> quiente, Lord help me. Silencio. Okay. So, yeah, but here's, here's the deal of this whole series. 
It's been deep. We've been going to the scriptures. We've been looking at Greek today. Just scroll up to the Greek, uh, down rather, to the Greek definitions. I have about, I think, six words I defined today from the Greek because I wanted you to hear it um, or to have it as a reference. And I may not be able to get into them today. I I define perfect, complete, purified, keep going, uh, blameless, holy, righteous. It's all there, okay? But during this sermon series, I feel that there's a heart of God that the Lord is putting me to share with you. So God's heart for you is that you would know how much he loves you and that the identity is based in love. So it's not based like, oh, like here's some cool thing in the Bible, now just believe it. You know, here's a doctrine, just believe a, a cold hard fact about God. No, it's, it's about God's love. And so yesterday I was watching YouTube and these videos that people post online. Has anybody ever watched these videos on YouTube? Uh, some of them make you cry, like the, the father giving away his daughter at the wedding ceremony, and then he talks about his daughter from being a little girl. Anybody ever see that? Okay, did anybody ever see, like, the, the wedding videos sticking on the wedding where the mom and the dad do the little dance on the dance floor? You all see that? Okay, I guess I watch. Hey, here's what I find out in church. I watch too many movies because no one ever knows the movies examples, and I watch too much YouTube now. Okay, thanks, everybody. Anywho, then this will be really great because no one has ever seen this video before. So this will be mind-blowing to you. But when I, when I watched it, I cried, and I was like, oh, this is like how I feel. This is the message. This is it. And then I played it for my wife. She's like, oh, I saw that two years ago, okay? So I thought you all going to be like that with me today, but hopefully you've never seen it. So cue up this video, it, and it basically is on this talk show. If, you, if you've seen it, you know what I'm talking. It's about only 30 seconds long, and I'm not going to ruin it, but, but just get my heart here. This is, to me, what I think we're trying to understand in the identity of Christ, it's not just doctrine. Doctrine's important. I mean, I love doctrine, but we got to catch the heart of the Father. Somebody say, Abba. All right, guys, would you play this, please? You love her, right? Yes, sir. Now, you're not an adult until you're 18. You want me to be your daddy for the next eight years, son? Come on, how many people believe God did that with us? See, that's it. It's, it's a video captured in some crazy talk show, whatever they were doing there, like trying to intimidate 70-year-olds with some general from the Army. I don't even get that stuff. Uh, you know, like, be nice to people. You know, it's like, that's not going to work, right? Yelling at them to make them be something. It's just not. But here's the point. The young man says, I don't have a daddy. I don't have a daddy. Listen to me, my friends. I was, I was born into a great family, Christian family. My parents loved God. But I chose to be a sinner. And I didn't have a heavenly father. I was lost. I was an orphan. I was just so depressed. I can't even put it to you in words, man. I felt my life was hopeless. And Jesus said to me, do you want me to be your daddy? Do you want me to save you? That, that's the identity of Christ. That, that's what it is. It's, it's not us working up to please our Heavenly Father. That young boy didn't do anything to work to please that drill sergeant guy. This guy's heart broke when he saw the heart of a child reaching out for a father. 
And that's humanity. We're reaching out for something. We're reaching out for substance. As one of the old theologians says, our hearts are restless until they find rest in him. So that's what we're talking about, your identity in Christ. Please put the full picture up there. This thumbprint of Jesus in you is restored when you're born again. When you come to Jesus, there is a transformation of your life and a bringing into a relationship with the Father through the Son, empowered by the Holy Spirit. Can I hear an amen? Now look at this scripture, please, for the introduction, 2 Corinthians 5.17. It's the one we've been reading all uh, series long. It's, it's, it is so important that you get this because if you don't get this, you can't get everything else we're saying. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has what? Has come. The old has gone and the new is here. Amen. Look at all the other translation, NLT. This means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new what? A new person. The old life is gone. A new life has begun. Do you believe that today? How many of you have come to Jesus and have been born again? Amen. Okay. How about the rest of you? You guys just waiting for the, the right altar call? Or are we not raising hands to hear? Because I thought at least more than half of my church was saved. How many of y'all have been born again? Okay. That's what I'm talking about. Okay. If you haven't been born again, you're in the right place to get born again. Now check this out in the introduction. I'm going to read it for you because uh, sometimes I get long-winded when I preach, but when I write, I can summarize my thoughts. Listen to this introduction of what we're going to talk about today, being perfect in Christ, being perfect in Christ. Listen to this. Is it true according to the Bible? Everybody say according to the Bible. Because as we're talking today, I'm talking according to the Bible, right? I'm not talking according to Dr. Phil, not Oprah Winfrey, not the 6 o'clock news, not Bill Maher, according to the what? The Bible, okay? So according to the Bible, is it true that no one is perfect according to the Bible? The answer is yes and no. On one hand, the answer is yes because it is true no one is born perfect. No one is born perfect. We're all born sinners. Now, how do we know that? Because then we live our life and we commit sins. Intrinsically, we have that already in us. No one taught a child how to be selfish. Do you guys track with that? So I have beautiful babies. My, my fourth one right now is only four or five months old. And as Zoe will grow up, she will do just what all the other children will do. She will be selfish on her own. No one will have taught her selfishness. They're not in the nursery going back there. Here, here's how to be selfish. Take a toy. Does anybody t teach children how to take toys from other children? No, so selfishness is intrinsic. It comes out. Has anybody ever here babysit or had a child and has seen that transformation? And even uh, in growth, they call it the terrible twos. Well, why is that? Because they're developing a personality, and intrinsically, they will desire things that are not good. They'll desire evil. Now, the good part about this, according to the Bible, once again, is that God has mercy on children. We don't have to baptize them for God to have mercy on them. He said just by them being children, they receive the kingdom of heaven. So we don't have to wonder what happens to children or to the hand who cannot make a choice once they come into a conscious mind to understand good from evil. Are you with me? We're not born perfect. We're born sinners. Keep going. It is also true that no one is perfect in the sense that they won't make mistakes, that sometimes they won't choose sin. Even Adam and Eve were created perfect, and they could still choose sin. So think about the Garden of Eden. Were Adam and Eve perfect? They were perfect, were they not? Does anybody here believe in Adam and Eve? Okay, you're like, you believe they were created. We didn't come from animals. From the goo through the zoo to you, we don't believe in molecules to man evolution, correct? We believe, we believe in the Big Bang, don't we? God said it, bang, it happened. Amen? Okay, that's what we believe. And there's science to back that up, by the way. But even though Adam and Eve were perfect, they still could choose sin. 
Now, on the other hand, yes, it is true no one is perfect by being born, and yes, it is true no one is free from choosing sin at times or mistakes. But on the other hand, the answer is no, because sinners can be born again as perfect saints in Jesus. Now, this is the point that you have to really ask yourself, do you believe what the Bible says? That We just read a scripture that says anyone who comes to Christ is a new creation. Okay, if Jesus was going to make, let's just start with something simple. If Jesus was going to make a new chair, would it be a perfect chair or an imperfect chair? If Jesus was going to make a new dog, would it be a, a perfect dog or an imperfect dog? Okay, when you are made a new creature, are you made an imperfect creature or a perfect creature? Boom, there it is. Case settled. Let's go home and get something to eat. Y'all ready to do that? We're perfect in Christ. It's settled. But we got to have some explanation of this, don't we? Because there seems to be, even in Christians, that we still make mistakes and that we still choose sin. So how can that be? Because if we just walk around acting like we're perfect, we'll just give the world more reasons to hate us if we don't explain to them how Christ has made us perfect. Because the world will look at us going, see, you all hypocrites. You say you're perfect, but here I see you wilding out the club Saturday night. That wasn't any of y'all, right? Nobody was there, huh? Okay, and by the way, our church believes in moderation, but that doesn't mean you get drunk and act a fool at the holidays, okay? So if you want to toast a little champagne, kick back a few, that's fine. But don't you be acting cray-cray at the party and say, my church is cool with this. Jesus drank wine, man. No, we're going to come and beat you up. That's how the church is going to be, amen? If you're going to drink wine like Jesus, you got to put your pinky up. No, I'm just kidding, but just moderation, amen? And young people, don't you go there because then I will moderately beat your pants, amen. Your parents will bring me, no, no, I'm kidding, but half kid. So young people, you don't have a choice. Adults, moderation, everybody say amen to the sidetrack. Some of y'all feel good right now. You're like, man, I'm glad my pastor said that. Anyways, when we look at being born again perfect in Christ, what does that mean? What it means is they are made perfect and holy just how God is perfect and holy. Therefore, from this gift of imparted holiness and perfection, the disciple can live a righteous and blameless life. So how do I get perfection of my own merit? No, it's given to me at the new creation when I'm born again. Does everybody believe in being born again? Okay, so when I'm born again, am I born again a deformed spiritual child? Like, I love you, Jesus. I love you, Lord. You know, you know am, am I born like that? And, and I'm not trying to speak. <laughs> Lord, forgive me. To all the handicapped people out there, to all the people with handicapped people, I love handicapped people, okay? I was just trying to say, and I'm just going to quit it. Just forgive me. Y'all forgive me for that. Okay. Therefore, from this, it's hot up in this place right now. Therefore, from this gift of imparted holiness, we can live it. So the point is, when we're born again, are we born again holy children or unholy children? Are we born again fully formed spiritual children of God or messed up spiritual children of God with little horns sticking out, right? We're born again holy and perfect in Christ. Now watch. However, if the disciple does sin, they can be forgiven, renewed, and cleansed if they repent. Simply stated, when we believe Christ made us sinless, we will begin to sin less. Okay, do you understand the connection there? When I believe Christ created me inwardly sinless, I will sin less. Now, some of you might say, well, isn't that contradicting itself now? How can you say you were born again perfect and yet sin? That wouldn't be perfect. Because we are not believing that perfection is a static reality. 
just like Adam and Eve had perfection and it changed. A Christian can have perfection and change it. Are you guys with me on that? Thinking about it again, when God created Adam and Eve perfect in body, soul, and spirit, were they able to change how they were? Because being perfect in God's economy, in the Bible, doesn't mean you can't make bad decisions. Okay? But what do people do? When they sin, they get restored back unto perfection. So think of it this way. This is the example I like to give. Imagine you're a sinner. You're a water bottle. As that water bottle, you're from, uh, all of us are, the Bible says, the filth, uh, you know, like the, the sewer. Okay, so imagine if I had a water bottle right here and it's from the sewer. That's sinners, okay? When we're born again, we're made pure and righteous, holy water right here. If I sin, it is like putting some of that into this water bottle. But why do I repent? I repent so that the sin gets out and I am restored back to that place of perfection. The wrong way to think about it is to say that I am that dirty, filthy sewer water bottle and I'm out here by myself. And when I get saved, all God does is take the water bottle and bring it into his water plant, okay? And so I'm no longer out there by myself in, in the sewer somewhere. I'm in God's water plant. This is the wrong way to think about it in that for the rest of my life, all God is doing is just filtering me. So I'm still dirty, but I'm not as dirty as I used to be. I'm still dirty, but I'm not as dirty as I used to be. And then the whole life, all I'm doing is getting filtered and getting filtered and getting filtered. And then one day, maybe right when I get right to the end, 99.99% pure, boom, God takes me to heaven. Is that the biblical understanding of being born again? Is being born again this lifelong process of transformation? It's being saved, that lifelong process of being rescued. Like imagine you're in a pit and you're, you know, like a, a sand pit, is, and, and God has saved you. Because that's what it means to be saved, to save from despair. Is it like slow motion? I'm being saved. Is that how Jesus saves? Or does he go, boom, get out of there. Boom, get born again. Boom, you're a new creation. Isn't that what we just read? So what is sin in the holy believer's life? It's the anomaly that has to be corrected. It is the, uh, what, what actually a sin is, hermenotoi in the Greek means to miss the mark. You were supposed to do something, but you didn't do it. If it was just an accident and sin was to be normal to you, why would you have to repent for it? Do you have to repent for God when you stumble and trip on yourself? Is there any clumsy people in this church that won't admit you clump, that you're going to admit you're clumsy? Anybody hands raised up? Where's Lauren? Where's, I mean, not Lauren, Robin. I called her. Robin, I love her, but she reminds me of my daughter, Hannah. My daughter, Hannah, could just be running just right now, like clear grass, nothing, and just fall. Like, seriously, my daughter will come running down the hallway, just wood floor, nothing, nothing, and just run. And then she'll be, like, picking herself up. I'm okay. And I love that about Robin and you guys. It's so cute, Ishmael. Thank you for letting me use her as an example. But seriously, like, they'll trip downstairs. They used to be hanging out, like, walking down, boom, and they'll go. And you'd be like, that's Ish and Robin. That's fun. But um, when, when my daughter trips and falls, does she have to repent before God and go, oh, look at me. I'm such a filthy, rotten sinner. No, she doesn't have to repent before God because it wasn't a moral action. When we sin, it wasn't an accident. It was a decision. 
Sin is not something you fall into. Sin is something you jump into. As I always give the example, it's like, guys, when you lust, it's not like, man, I was just doing my own thing. I just saw this girl's booty. And like, oh, I just didn't know what happened to me. No, no, no. What, what really happened was you climbed the ladder of your lust. You looked across the mall, found the one you were looking for, jumped on the diving board of your lust, and dove right in and did a triple somersault. Go, yes, lust, here I am. See, sin is a choice. If it wasn't a choice, you could not be held responsible for it. And so what happens in the Christian's life when they've been born again, they're held responsible for not continuing in it. The sinner, by definition, will continue to sin and thus will be damned. The Christian is born again, made perfect in Christ, and now has freedom from sin and should never choose it again. But if they do, they should be quick to repent so that they can be restored to that right relationship, purified, holy, and continue to live that way. So ask yourself this question, do I want to live holy? Do you want to live like Christ? Amen? Therefore, it's time to stop living like a mere human in the flesh, making these excuses. Well, nobody's perfect, and it's time to live a spirit life empowered by the divine nature of God. If you're ready, somebody say, I'm ready. Amen. Go with me to Colossians chapter 1, verse 27. I'm going to give you two buns and some meat in the middle. How many want a Colossian sandwich this morning? You want that? Okay. You like it medium or medium rare? How do you like your hamburgers? Medium, medium rare. Okay. We're all about the same there. You guys like jalapenos and bacon on your hamburgers or something? Some cheese? You know what I'm talking about. Just take it to a whole nother level. That's right. And then now they're putting like uh, olive, uh, not olive, uh, onion rings on it as well. Onion rings, cheese, bacon, jalapeno, like some Southwest burger blow your mind. Okay, so just think about that. This is going to be a Southwest burger to blow your mind. Seasoned fries, come on. The bun on top. There's Rob. Let's give it up for Robin. There she is. We just told an awesome spiritual example about you, about how awesome you are. Sorry, I'm just kidding. <laughs> it's, not, it's not lying if you're teasing, okay, guys? I was just teasing. She knows. Okay, so here we go. Um, it's a bun with meat in the middle with a bun on the bottom. That's a hamburger. Here's what we're going to do. I told you guys to look at the bookends of uh, Colossians chapter 2 last week. Uh, now we're going to look at the whole book of Colossians as one big hamburger. Chapter 1 starts off with a theme. That's the first chapter. Chapter 4 is going to end with that same theme. And chapter 2, right in the middle, is going to um, reiterate that theme. So what is Paul doing? He wrote this book to the people of Colossia. They're a Greek community. They're Christians in the New Testament. And he is speaking to them about this at the very beginning, in the middle, and at the end. So it's really important. And the purpose is so that they can live the life that God wants them to live. If you're ready, say, I'm ready. Colossians chapter 1, verse 27, out of the New King James today. To them God willed to make known what are the riches of the glory of his mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in, everybody say Christ in me. So where does our identity come from? Christ in us. So the identity of Christ that Christians now have, is it of their own merit? It comes from who? Christ. And where is Christ right now? In us. In us. The hope of glory. Verse 28. Now watch this. Him we preach. Who are we preaching today? Jesus. Warning every man and teaching every man in all wisdom that we may present every man what? Every man what? Perfect, teleos, in Christ, to this end I also labor, striving according to his working, which works in me mightily. So I got a job, don't I? 
If I'm going to do what Paul did, I got some work to do. Somebody say, work it. Come on, somebody say, twerk it. Here's me working and twerking it right now. This is holy. Keep your minds holy, y'all. This is working and twerking the word right here. We're not going to let people make it all dirty. Amen? Work it and twerk it. Here we go. My work is to present you perfect in Christ. Now go back to that example. Go back to the example of the water bottle. Is it true that you are this dirty, filthy water bottle and your whole life I'm trying to perfect you as your pastor? And then one day I'll say, uh, they're done now, Jesus. Here you go. Take them home to go to heaven. Is that what he's saying? Or is he saying, which, which is assumed here, you were perfected in Christ at a time beforehand, and now i got to make sure you stay like this so I can give you to God like that. Hmm? Which one is it? Is it we're just working on it so I can present you? Like, you're not there yet. You're not there yet. One day you will, but you're not there. Or is it giving us the idea that, oh, something happened and you were perfected, and now it's my job to warn you? What am I supposed to warn about? Not letting it go. What am I supposed to do? Labor? What am I supposed to labor for? Giving you the word of God so you know how to live it out? And God works with you. And then what do I do as your pastor? Present you to the Father as your pastor so that when you were in the earth, on the earth during this time, you won't say nobody told me, nobody warned me, nobody admonished me, nobody worked mightily among me. I'm not your savior and I'm not Father Tom and I'm not dressing up as a woman and you're calling me Father today and I'm not feeding you num-nums. Are you listening to me? But I am someone that, like Paul, is here to present you to the Father through the teachings and the warnings of being perfect in Christ and not letting it go. Okay, some of y'all with me on that. Let's go to the middle then. Maybe you need the meat of it. Come on, somebody say bring the meat. Turn with me to Colossians 2.10. Or you can all just look up at the board. Colossians 2.10. Verses 10 to 11. Here it is, New King James. And you are what? Complete Peru in him. So is my perfection in myself? Is it in my religion? Is it because I was baptized as a child? Is it because I do a bunch of good things? I'm better than my neighbor. How am I complete? How am I perfected? I am perfected in him. I am complete in him. We're going to get to the difference of complete and perfected. What does perfected teleos mean? Perfected means brought to its highest mark. Brought to the highest mark. If I say that this pie is perfect, I have said I have made this pecan pie the best possible way it can be made. If I say it is completed, Peru, what am I saying? There is not one more pecan that needs to be put onto that pecan pie. Jesus says you were perfect in him, and now Paul is saying you are complete in him, who is the head of all principality and power. In him you were also circumcised with the circumcision made without hands by putting off of the body of the sins of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. If you believe that, can you say amen? Amen. Now go to the ending. How many want to hear the last part? Now, you know what's awesome about this is that Paul starts it off and says, this is my job, is to present you perfect in Christ. And you are already complete in him throughout chapter 2. And now watch at the end. He brings up this guy, Epaphras. Everybody say Epaphras. Epaphras would be like a brother issue I was teasing before or another leader in our church that was working with Paul. Look at what he says about Epaphras. He connects the two perfect and complete together. In Colossians 4.12, Epaphras, who is one of you, a bondservant of Christ, greets you, always laboring fervently for you in prayers that you may stand. Y'all are so tired and lame this morning. Can I get you guys to wake up and pretend the Bears won a game or something? 
here to stand what? Perfect and complete in all the will of God. That's exciting. How many want to stand perfect in God's will? How many want to stand complete in God's will? If you want to do otherwise, I pity you. There's nothing that sin offers you that you're going to be benefited by. So sometimes people hear this, oh, we're going to be perfect in Christ and do all the will of God. That's not going to be fun. Oh, I don't want to do that. What what sin do you think is greater than the perfect will of God? I mean, really, how many of us have sinned before? Did you like the outcome of it? Are you happy, married couples, that there's such thing called a sin, don't commit adultery? Are you guys happy for that? How many don't want to commit that sin in marriage? How many know you commit adultery in marriage and mess the stuff up? How many are happy for, like, the perfect will of God not to murder anybody? Is anybody happy about that? How about, how about not lying to people? You think we shouldn't do that? People are like, well, I don't know all the commandments of God. It takes about five seconds to read them all. Don't lie. Don't steal. Don't murder people. Don't commit adultery. Don't be covetous. It's not that hard, people. So the idea is, are we going to stand in the perfection and completeness of Christ and all the will of God, or are we going to compromise? Make excuses. Well, that's not what my church taught me. My church taught me, said, said, we're all still sinners even though we're going to heaven. And there's nothing we can do to mess this up. So, hey, you know, Daddy up in heaven loves me. So whenever I mess up, he understands. That's the life I want to live is just messing up all the time and asking him to forgive me. Is that the kind of life God wants you to live? Now, if my child makes a mistake, do I forgive her? But would I want my child to continue making the same mistake over and over and over again? I want her to learn the will of the Father. I'm her father, and I want my child to learn my will. Don't you think we should all learn the will of God? Amen. Let's go to Jesus. Let's look at these scriptures right now. How many want to learn some more scriptures? Amen. I'm going to give you a few more that Jesus talked about. Look at this. Matthew 5, 48. What do you think Jesus meant by this? Scroll up, please, so they can see it. Everybody look up at me, please. It's really deep. Okay? We're about ready to get deep. You all ready to get deep? This is like four horsemen of the apocalypse deep right now. Okay, this is like, this is way out there. This is something you're going to go tell your friends. I went to MBI church, man. They got deep. This is what they told me right here. That's how you're going to sound, okay? That's how you're going to sound. Because some people are like, ah, I don't understand this right. Okay, let's just get deep right now. Matthew 5, 48. Let's read together. Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Okay, what does that mean? What does it mean? Let's get deep. Let's look to the Bible. Let's go to what Jesus said. Red letters 2,000 years ago. Don't need a fast-talking southern Midwestern living preacher from an Italian background to get you hype about it. Just read it in your own Bible, folks. What does it say? Be messed up because your father is messed up. Make excuses for all that you do because your father always makes excuses. Be legalistic. Be legalistic because your father's legalistic. Don't watch TV. Don't have fun. Don't dance. Don't hang out with your friends. Don't laugh. Don't watch movies. Don't play sports. And go to heaven sucking on lemons the whole time. Because your father in heaven sucking on lemons the whole time. He's angry at everybody. That's how he wants you to live life because everybody's going to hell. So let's, let's rescue this scripture from legalism that now says I have to be perfect by doing what, what Grandma Mima did. You know what I'm saying? Well, Grandma Mima didn't cut her hair. She wore a long dress. Well, good for her. We ain't doing that here, amen? I'm going to tell Grandma Mima, get out your bondage, shake the hair loose, get yourself a hairdo. 
Put on some pants if you want. Wear some makeup. Get yourself did, woman. Amen. You free. You free. Well, I was taught we couldn't listen to rock and roll. You were taught wrong. Listen to rock and roll. I was taught we can dance in church. Dance. Dance the samba, the bachata. Dance whatever you want to dance. Just be perfect like your heavenly father's perfect. Just have in your heart the standard of what Jesus has. This is where we got to rescue it from legalism and then from lukewarm people who don't even care about this. See, there's the one side that says, we all going to be perfect, and it's going to be miserable. You're going to be miserable like your heavenly father's miserable. That's how they interpret it, right, through religion. And then there's the other people that just go, uh, be perfect. Well, let's just go past that scripture and go to the next one. Love your neighbor as yourself. There's the other group of Christians that just want to pretend that's not even in the Bible. Like, like what? Like, Jesus said that? No, he didn't mean that. He didn't mean that. He meant something else. You know what I'm saying? He meant something else. Like, what do you mean he meant something else? Like, what? Perfect? Like, what do you think he's talking about? And I've had other people tell me, because I can keep you here all day of the dumb things I've heard in the name of the Bible. But uh, <laughs> one of the, the dumb things that I heard was people said, well, it really means mature. It's just be mature, you know, because that's the best we can do in this earth is be mature. Everybody say mature. So this is, how it, this is how I'm supposed to read that. Be mature as your heavenly father's mature. It's like, okay, I'm mature now. Like, I'm really mature. That's what perfect means. I'm mature. So be mature because my father is mature. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? You just, you just got to just talk to people real and just go, man, that's dumb. We can't rebuke dumb out of you. We got to just get you to learn. How dumb leaves is through knowledge. Amen? Let me give you knowledge. So the legalistic person that wants to start making up stuff in the Bible, like I said about women dressing like that, I'm like, show me that. Show me that. You know what I'm saying? And then they point to some scripture that was talking to a culture where braided hair and dressing like this meant you were a prostitute. Does braided hair in our culture mean you're a prostitute? You know what, you know what I'm saying? I mean, that was then. Just jewelry in our culture mean you're a prostitute? My friends in India, the men don't even wear wedding rings. Why? Because the gurus and all this dress up in jewels, and they don't want any of that. Well, that's their culture. That doesn't mean it's in my culture. That has nothing to do with me. Now, somebody will say, well, then homosexuality should be accepted too. No, homosexuality was banned in all cultures. You ever heard of Sodom and Gomorrah? That wasn't Israel, baby. That was Sodom and Gomorrah. You ever read Romans chapter 1? He says it's unnatural to the created order. Okay, so we're not just trying to pick and choose, but what we are doing is we're using some sense through the Bible to understand the code of the Bible. Amen? There is a moral code of the Bible, and you are to be perfect at it like your Heavenly Father's perfect at it. Can I hear an Amen. Now let's help you understand why there is a battle, why you still have temptation, why since being a Christian you may make mistakes. Can I tell you where that battle's at? It's in your body. You have a sinful body. Your brain is an organ that has memories. If they mess with it, they can take away your memories. If, if they take away certain hormones, you can be depressed. How many have a hard time in the morning getting along with people? And then until you have your first cup of coffee, then you're all right. How many need like three cups of coffee, an espresso, and a kick in the pants before you nice? Right? Some people are like that. But why do you think that is? Guess where your body is. Why, how many people here, oh, I don't even want to raise the hands like this, but let's be honest. Um, how many know their body could desire a lot of sex? You don't have to raise your hand. But it's like, it's like I still got a body. I still got a body. You know, if you put me in a, a bunch of strippers in front of me, it's not like my body's not going to react to that. It has instincts. It has hormones. Y'all checking with me? So don't bring your pastor to a strip club if you don't want to see him lust. Amen? It's pretty smart. I don't want to lust, don't take me to a strip club. Now, here's the thing. I've looked at pornography in over uh, 17 years, and I haven't had sex with myself, if you can fill in the big word for that, in almost 17 years as well. You know why? Because I don't put myself in those situations. I waited eight years till I got married, and God gave me a heavenly experience. Amen? 
Now, what's the point? Is the body could desire that. The body would like to get mad at people all the time. The body would like to do this. But you are not your body. You are born again. Your body's a shell. It dies. You live on. And one day you get a new body. So you're to live right now as the new you and crucify the body and make it your slave. Take your body to church. Amen. Take your body to prayer. Take your body to praise God. Raise hands. Clap hands. Take your body and make it speak words of life. Do what your body, what Jesus commanded you to do. It's your slave. Amen. And work your body and get it all sexy and get it in shape. Come on, David. How many want to make some New Year's resolutions to lessen lessen the load a little bit? I want to lessen the load. I'm just going to shrink this right before you guys. By my, I'm sorry to cut, by June uh, 19th, my 20th, uh, 10th year anniversary, I I want to be my old sexy self. Amen? Okay, go to Philippians 3.10. I want to show you right here. There are two kinds of perfections. One has already been done and one we're waiting for. Look at it here. Philippians 3.10, Paul is going to tell you, I'm not already perfect, but I believe I am perfect. And you're going to think, well, that just sounds like you contradicted yourself. But I want to show you exactly what he means. Because this is a scripture that people will say, well, see, Paul said nobody's perfect, but watch this. Philippians 3.10-16. Now, uh, excuse me, that I may know him and the power of his what? That I may know him in the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings, being conformed to his death, in order that I may obtain the, from the what? From the dead. Now look at verse 12. Not that I already obtained it or have become perfect. See right there people go, see look, Paul hasn't become perfect. Well now we have a problem. It's not just okay to say, well, Paul says he didn't become perfect. That's just end it and say we're good now. We don't have to do this because we have a pretty clear statement that Jesus says we need to be perfect, right? We have a pretty clear statement from Paul in another place in Colossians because he wrote the book Philippians too where he said you're complete, you're perfect, and now stand perfect and complete in Christ. So is Paul contradicting himself and is he contradicting Jesus? That would be a problem, would it not? But keep reading. Look at what he says. Not that I've already obtained or have been made perfect, but I press on so that I may lay hold of that which also has laid hold of me by Christ Jesus. Brethren, I do not regard myself as laying hold of it yet, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and reaching forward to what lies ahead. I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward calling of God in Christ Jesus. Look at verse 15. Let us therefore, as many as are perfect, have this. Oh, well, hold on. I thought he said, I'm not already perfect. But then he says, those who are perfect have this attitude. Same exact Greek word, by the way. That's why I have it there, teleos. Have this attitude. And if anything you have, and, and if in anything you have a different attitude, God will reveal that to you also. However, let us keep living by the same standard by which we have obtained. So hold on. There's a standard I've obtained. There's a perfection that I have. And yet there's a perfection I don't have that I'm striving after. What is the perfection that I don't have that I'm striving after? Who, who, the resurrection of the body. Go back and see if I'm telling you the truth. Read your Bibles. Don't just take my word. He says, not that I've already obtained it or have become perfect. Not that I have already obtained it. Go to that place up top, please. Verse 12. What is the obtained it? What is the I have not obtained it? The resurrection, he says in verse 11, in order that I may attain, verse 11, put that word attain, to the what? 
Resurrection. You got to go to verse 11 so they can see we're helping them with the highlighters here. Obtain the resurrection. Okay, so look at there's the, the word is used three times, obtain. I have not obtained the resurrection. I am striving to obtain the resurrection. But those of us who have already obtained inner perfection can live up to what they have obtained at salvation. Hmm. I don't know. I don't know, Pastor. I mean, come on. How many of you are buying this right now? How many like 50-50? Like, I don't know. That's some tricky stuff right there. Don't speak it out loud, but ask yourself the question, what in the world is he talking about? Just ask yourself. I mean, just I mean, please think to yourself, what is he talking about? Because I have my friends that will go, see, Pastor, see, see, we're not supposed to be perfect. We're supposed to be Dr. Jekyll, Mr. Hyde. See, see, look, right, right there, uh, Paul said it. I'm not already perfect, so it's okay if I sin sometimes. But hold on. If you keep reading, it says at the bottom, he has been made perfect, and we're to have this attitude because we've been made perfect, and now we're to live up to this standard. So is he talking about the same perfect and contradicting himself, or is he talking about two perfects? There are two perfects. Why? Because right now your soul and spirit, which has been saved and perfected in Christ, lives in an imperfect body. This body must die. And so in the time you're in this body, you must strive for that time to come of a resurrection. How many want to see that proven in the Scripture? Turn with me to 2 Corinthians, or 1 Corinthians 15. 1 Corinthians 15, 42. How many are getting blessed right now? Amen. 1 Corinthians 15, 42, and I'll bring the conclusion to this. When you look at Paul, Paul wrote Colossians, Paul wrote Philippians, Paul wrote Corinthians. Look at how he ties it together. 1 Corinthians 15, 42 through 45. So also is the resurrection of the dead. The body is sown in Corruption, it is raised in incorruption. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. There is a natural body and there is a spiritual body. And so it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living being. The last man, Adam, became a life-giving spirit. Who is the last Adam? Jesus. What did Jesus do when he was dead? Rose again on what day? The third day. Did he have a natural body? No, he had a spiritual body. He walked through a wall, did he not? He did. And then he ascended to heaven, right? Why do you think Jesus raised from the dead? He had already paid the price of sin, dying on the cross. Why was it important for Christ to raise from the dead? To fulfill being the firstborn from the dead, now that death could be defeated, all of us could get new bodies. So what is salvation? Salvation is right now you being transformed and walking that out until resurrection and you get a body with your new soul and spirit. What happens now? Souls and spirits get saved now. What happens then? Bodies get saved. So right now, why do you have temptation? Because you're living in a body that hasn't been resurrected. It's weak. It's, it's dishonorable. It's corrupted. And God wants you now to live in it and not give into it and not to treat it like it's you. My stomach may get hungry, but it ain't me. Amen? I can tell my stomach what to do. You're not hungry. You're not eating no pizza tonight. You're not getting nothing. You're getting broccoli and chicken 
and rice and all that other stuff my your wife makes for you. That's what you're getting tonight, right? I tell my body what to do. You're going to be a beast. You're going to go in the gym, and you're going to lift all these weights, and everybody's going to look at you, and you're going to look awesome. That's what you're going to do. Body, it's what you're going to do. So go to the therefore. Let me summarize these points. When we're born again, we're inwardly transformed. We're still striving for outward perfection, but we know if we trust Christ, we'll have it. Therefore, right now, we're inwardly perfect, but one day we will be made perfect in our bodies at the resurrection. There is the conclusion. So that is what it means to be perfect in Christ. Now, let me tell you some things it doesn't mean. How many want to see some things it doesn't mean so we can clarify? By the way, here are all the definitions of the Greek words that are relevant to this message. Scroll up, please. I believe I have uh, scrolled down through them. I have six definitions that you can look at. Now, let's go here of what it doesn't mean. Number one, what being perfect in Christ does not mean is that you know everything. So when you become born again, does that instantly mean now you know everything? It's like, mom, I know everything, right? That it doesn't mean that. Why? Look at Adam and Eve. Just go back to that. They were created perfect. We all agree with that. They were created perfect. Did Adam and Eve know everything? If they knew everything, would they have been talking to the devil? Would they have been like, hey, okay, that looks good to me. I'm going to eat this. No. When you're perfect in Christ, it doesn't mean you know everything. It means you've got to learn math. Can I blow your mind? Look, look, look to Luke 2.52. Look to Luke 2.52. Did you know that when Jesus was in the body, he had to learn? Why is that? When Jesus came in the body, did he depend upon his divinity or did he express himself as a human? As a human. But was he perfect? Was Jesus perfect? Yes. Did Jesus have a perfect body? Yes. How did Jesus get a perfect body but none of us got a perfect body? We're waiting for ours to die. Why? Because he was what? Born of a virgin. Do you guys understand now why Jesus had to be born of a virgin? Because he could not get a body from anybody on this planet. Otherwise, he would inherit a sinful body. So that's why he had to be born of a virgin. The spirit formed in him a body like the first Adam. That's why he's called the last Adam. Adam and Eve were the only two with perfect bodies until the time of Jesus. So Jesus comes not based in his divinity, Though he's always existed with his soul and spirit as God, equal to the Father and the Spirit, he then incarnates, comes into the flesh, but as he does, he sets aside his divine rights and says, okay, I'm not going to blow stuff up while I'm here. I'm not going to do everything as God. I'm going to do it as a man, as Adam would have done it as a man in the body. That's why when he was in the garden, he could pray, not my will, but your will. What was the two wills there? The body will and his will, the soul. Do you, do you have to battle against two wills? Yes, because you have a body that has desires, and you have an inner man that has desires. But he was a perfect man. But guess what? Even as a perfect man, he learned. Look at Luke 2.52. And Jesus increases as he's growing up, increased in what? Wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man. So because we are perfect in Christ, does that mean I know everything about the Bible? Does that mean now you're going to teach the teacher something? You're going to teach the teacher something. I'm going to tell pastor something. I got something to tell pastor. Why well, do I always make those people sound like, like they're from the hood? You know what I'm saying? I got to talk like somebody, like, like for real. I'm going to teach the pastor something. That's more like a valley girl thing, but I'm going to teach the pastor something. Or like maybe a dude from Chicago. I got to get my Chicago like, yo, pastor, I want to talk to you, man. 
can I can I teach you something, man? I want to. I saw I saw this on YouTube and and the Masons and this conspiracy with like you know the Bible and Horus and and zeitgeist, man. And this is what I think you need to know. I get that stuff, right? So I got I got to hit on everybody right there. I wish I could do the suburban housewife, but I can't. So the point is, are we going to now teach the teacher? Oh, we know everything. No, because we still grow. Was not Jesus perfect? Yes, but he still grew in wisdom. Here's something that's going to blow your mind. When you receive the resurrected body, you're upon the new earth reigning with Christ forever. You think you'll still learn? I think that's going to be the beauty of eternity with God is learning and learning. That's why the Bible says you go from glory to glory to glory. We're never going to stop learning about who God is. Think about right now if you just try to pick up every grain of sand and study it. Just pick up a grain of sand off of the whole beaches of the earth. God's wisdom is greater than all the sands of the seashore, and you will be able to gaze upon each one for eternity, and he will blow your mind. It will never end. So think about that. Now, so does it mean I know everything? No, it doesn't mean I know everything. So we're supposed to be teachable. We're supposed to listen to people teaching and preaching. Amen? Number two, does it mean I won't make mistakes? No, it doesn't. First of all, there is a difference, as we talked before, about mistakes and sins. Separate those two categories. Mistakes are not sins. So if you're writing a letter to your friend for Christmas and you put their wrong address, is that a violation of God's law? Do you need to repent? Is that the equivalent of lying? Is that the equivalent of stealing? Is that the equivalent of adultery? No. These moral laws have not been violated, but you made a mistake. Now, number three, it doesn't mean that you don't have a body with fleshly temptation. So, yes, you will still be tempted. So I have some people that will go, like, all out on this, be like, I'm perfect in Christ, and my body's perfect, and I don't ever get tempted. Well, you are a liar. All we got to do is bring the right temptation. You know what I'm saying? And, and, I, and I'm like, so are you tempted with lace? No, I ain't tempted with lace. Okay, I guess it's dudes then. Okay, bring Steve over here. Let's see how you get now. You know what I'm saying? But something is going to tempt you. Something is going to eventually tempt you. If, if it ain't women, it's going to be men. Something is going to tempt you. If it's not money, if it's not lying, if it's not greed, if it's not covetous, maybe it's just pride. Maybe it's just thinking you have it all together. All of us get tempted. I get tempted via my body, number one, we talked about that, and number two, the devil. There are two sources of temptation, the body and the devil. Can I hear an amen to that? Number four, it doesn't mean you can't sin. Adam and Eve were perfect. Could they sin? If I am perfect in Christ, can I sin? Yes. But how does someone lose their salvation? Do you know that people can lose their salvation? You can lose what God has given you? Do you know how you can do that? By not repenting of your sin. Because if you think you don't need to repent of sin, number five, then you're deceiving yourself. So if we are sinners and we sin, what do we do? Repent. Why do I repent of something? Because I could have done otherwise. It's not an accident, is it? Now look at this right here. Acts 2.38 calls sinners to repent. But in Revelation, Jesus calls four different churches to repent. Look at Revelation 2, verses 4 through 5. So is repentance just for sinners or is it also for Christians? For Christians, why? Because we sinned and we weren't supposed to. Look at it quickly. Rachel, can I have you come to the keys, please? In the book of Revelation, there's four times Jesus speaks to his church and says repent. So if this kind of teaching leads you to believe, I know everything. I'm already perfect. Ain't nobody going to teach me nothing. And if you sin, oh, I don't got to repent. You are messed up. Because in Christ, we can sin and we should repent. And if we don't, we're in danger of losing our salvation. It's true. Look at Jesus speaking to the church here. Not Acts 2.38, brother. Revelation 2, 4 through 5. If I didn't say it, please put it up there. Revelation chapter 2, verse 4 through 5. 
There's three steps that you can do to mess this thing up. Number one, you can choose sin. Number two, you can live with that sin with an unrepentant heart. And number three, allow that sin to bring death and unbelief. And it's belief in Christ that brought you in. It's unbelief that will bring you out. Look at here, uh, Revelation 2, 4 through 5. Jesus talking to his church. And what, what does he call, uh, what is the Bible, the number one term in the epistles that Paul and the disciples call the other disciples? What are their names? Saints, right? What does the word saint mean? Shout it out. What does the word saint mean? You don't even believe me. Come on, turn with me quickly to Philippians chapter 1. Quickly. Y'all bored? Man, like what y'all want to do right now? Tell me. You, know, you want to watch a movie? New Lord of the Rings coming out? I mean, I'm sorry. Like I'm just talking about the Bible. It's like, man, I wish this guy would stop talking about the Bible so I can go do something else. You guys on holiday time, right? I just feel like you guys aren't really trying. I feel like some are with me and some are not with me. How many are with me? Can I hear an amen? Amen. Okay. I work hard for you to get this, and I really want you to get it. Look at what Paul says. Paul and Timothy, bondservants of Jesus Christ to all the... So what is the epistles, the primary title in the New Testament, give disciples? What does he call them? What does the word saint mean? Holy one or jacked up one? Holy one or messed up one? Imperfect one or perfect one? Because the Bible says, be ye holy for I am holy. Can you be holy and imperfect at the same time? The Bible says, be perfect for your heavenly father is perfect. Is the heavenly father messed up and perfect at the same time? So when we're born again, are we born again perfect or imperfect? Is he messing with us here or is this a fact? Is this as much of a fact as a sinner is a sinner? Like when you look at it and see, you're like, man, you are a sinner. There ain't no doubt about it. You're a sinner. Like, anybody want to know what a sinner is? This is one right here. This one right here. Like, how many know there are some sinners? Like, they're obvious sinners. People who hide their sin. But I'm talking about there's obvious sinners. But is it obvious we're saints? Should be. That's who we are. Now, how does Jesus talk to his saints? Now, go back to Revelation, please, 2, 4 through 5. He calls the saints, the ones perfect in Christ, to repent. So you got to get this. You may say, well, hold on. That, that means I'm not perfect and if I'm repenting. No. It just means you're not living up to what you were called to live up to. Do I stop? Does my child stop being a Wyrostic because they mess up? No, you're still a Wyrostic. Do they stop being a human because they mess up? Their nature doesn't change. Their name doesn't change. But what is their behavior doing? It's separating themselves from my character, from my name, right? When you're a Christian and you sin, are you now full of the devil going to hell? No. And does your name change from being a saint to a sinner? No. If you continue in that, unrepentantly, the Bible says you can change your status. My child can divorce themselves from me and change their name. They can get emancipated, can they not? Is Jesus the divine rapist? Does he make us all stay? Does he, like, put out some cookies for us and say, come on in, boys and girls. Come on in. You guys are coming. And then lock the door on us, bolt lock it, and then stand out there with the shock and say, you ain't leaving, son. You ain't leaving. No, he's not a divine kidnapper. He comes in, calls you child. Just like that, just like that drill sergeant brings that boy into the back. That's Christ, puts his arm around him. But if that boy said, let go of me, I don't want you. If we say back to God, I don't want you, we can walk out, can't we? That boy can walk out and say, I'm done. Okay, look at Revelation 2, 4 through 5. Nevertheless, I have this against you. You have left your first love. Remember, therefore, from where you have, from where you have fallen. 
You used to believe you were perfect in Christ. You used to love me with everything you have, but you have fallen from that. You're not standing in the righteousness of God. You have fallen. Nevertheless, I have this against you. You left your first love. Remember, from where you have fallen, repent and do the first works. Or else I will come to you quickly and remove your lampstand from its place unless you what? So why is it important for the Christian to repent? Because they must continue in the works of Christ. So think about the calling of God being the tightrope. The Bible says the way of salvation is narrow. That leads to life. The path that leads to destruction is wide. So you say, I'm going to walk this narrow path. But you can't even get to it, right? Let's say it's 10 feet up and you're crippled. You can't even get to it. That is the life of a sinner. It's impossible for them to even get to the path. But now let's say you come to Christ and say, I want to be born again. He heals you, empowers you, brings you up, and sets you right there, okay? Now he says to you, here's your little stick that's going to help you balance. This is the Holy Spirit and the Word of God, which will teach you to do all that I want you to do. Now walk this path. You're going to get scared. You're going to say, I can't do it. But then you're going to look down and you're going to see a net. What does he call that net? Grace. So if you're walking and you stumble and fall on the, the road that Christ called you to do, you stumble and fall, you sin. Grace is there. How do I get back up? Through repentance. Repentance places me back on that path. That is the life. Living the life of sin for the sake of sin, it would be like me jumping on that, that rope and diving off into, the, into the, the, the net like it's a trampoline. Like, woo, it's so much fun because God loves me. That's not the life of holiness, is it? The man who starts off saying, I want to walk the tightrope, doesn't do so to fall. He does so to get to the other side. What's at the other side for those who start this? The resurrected body and the eternity with Jesus forever. Go back to the notes, please. How many have received something today? Can I give you the application in closing? Excuse me, here's five things to remember. Number one, believe that you are imperfect without Jesus a sinner. So without Jesus, you're still a sinner. But with Jesus, number two, believe that you're perfectly born again, a saint. Number three, believe that one day your body will be perfected at the resurrection. Number three, believe that your body will be perfected at the resurrection. Number four, believe that you can fall from this perfection if you live in unrepentant sin. Take that serious. And number five, stand in your perfection and live as a disciple following all of Jesus' commands, being holy, blameless, and righteous. If you believe that, will you stand to your feet and give the King of kings and the Lord of lords a hand clap because it's all about Jesus. We believe Jesus. It's all about you, God. It's all about you. It's because of you, and we thank you. Altar workers and band, would you come, please? I want to close out with this scripture in Hebrews. My heart is so touched for this subject. My wife will preach next week, so you got to come. It's going to be awesome. You're going to want to make her the normal preacher because she's going to preach really awesome. You're going to be like, I, we like you better. And then she'll be like, no. And you'll be like, no, really, we do like you better. She'll be like, no, you don't. She, you'll be like, yes, we want you, not him. That's what's going to happen. <laughs> if anybody knows insecurity, un, like uh, insecure compliments, that was what I needed right there because of my insecurity, right? Thank you. Um, thank you for that, Cherry. Here's a scripture, though. I think it ties it all up. Tell me what you think. I think it's kind of deep, but I think we can get it. 
For by one offering, Hebrews 10, 14, he has perfected for all time those who are sanctified. That's really deep, isn't it? For by one offering, he perfected for all time those who are sanctified. As long as I'm in Christ, I'm perfect. As long as I'm in Christ, I'm sanctified. I won't believe otherwise. If I stumble, I will repent. Amen. I will reach that race, uh, the finish line in this race. And the Holy Spirit also testifies to us. What does the Holy Spirit tell us? This is the covenant that I will make with them. After those days, says the Lord, I will put my laws upon their heart. And on their mind, I will write them. He then says, and their sins and lawless deeds I will remember no more. Let's just pray. Would you bow your head and close your eyes and answer to prayer? Thank you for coming today. Father, we ask that right now all of us would search our hearts to see if we've received the new covenant, to see if we've received the offering that sanctifies and perfects. With every head bowed and eyes closed, would you look at your life right now? Have you been born again? Ask yourself that. If you have not been born again, today we invite you to be born again. It's simple. Ask Jesus in your heart and repent of your sins. That's what it means. It means you're acknowledging you're a sinner. These are the sins you've done. And you're asking Jesus to make you new, perfect, holy, sanctified. Do you believe Jesus can do that? I mean, come on. If God could create the whole universe, can he create a new you? So if you're not born again, are you willing to surrender your life to the life of God so that you can be born again? That's number one. Please examine your heart. Ask yourself that question. Am I born again? If you're not, accept him. Number two, with head bowed and eyes closed, we're just in an attitude of prayer. If you're a Christian and you said, man, I've been born again, ask yourself this question now. Do I believe I am perfected in Christ, sanctified, holy, and righteous? Because if you don't believe that, you will continue to make excuses for sin. You'll say, I'm just a sinner. Nobody is perfect. That's why I keep doing the dumb things I do. This is my life. And as a Christian, the Bible says you're living beneath what he called you to do. So if that's been your attitude and today proper teaching has helped you understand what Jesus said, be perfect for your heavenly Father is perfect, be holy, for God said I am holy. If you understand that, repent and say, Lord, I believe you've made me who you've said you've made me and I can do what you said I can do right now come on pray on that get rid of stinking thinking I am who God says I am I am who God says I am I am born again I am a new creation I am complete in him I am perfected in him I am blameless in him I am the righteousness of God in him that's what the Bible says. Believe it. Repent of stinking thinking. And then now number three, in closing, come on, last one. Hang in there with me. The last one. If you're here today and you would say, Pastor, I am born again and I believe what the Word of God says, would you now set your hearts on what His plan for your life is? Set your heart on it. What is in your heart and your life? You know, maybe it's like you're like me. You're married. Set your heart on your marriage and ask God to bless you then. Do you want, like, ask yourself this question. How many sins do you want to purposely make in your marriage? Probably none, right? So you, you ask God, Lord, let me walk in my marriage the path you set before me. 
I'm not afraid if I mess up, I'll go to hell. No, I know you'll forgive me, but I do want to walk this path. I want to be a good husband. I want to be a good wife. I may make mistakes. I may sometimes sin, but this is my heart. How many parents right now? Come on, set your heart on your children. You want to do all the will of God for your children. Do you not? Let me ask you this, head bowed and eyes closed. How much of the will of God don't you want to do? If the 100% will of God for your children is to bless and prosper them, what do you want to cut out? You want to cut out about 5% of it? Of course not, right? So we need to ask God how to do that. Set our hearts on our marriages. Set our hearts on our families. How many have goals and dreams for their jobs? Some of you don't like your job. You know what the Bible says? Do all things unto Christ. Not some things. Do all things unto Christ. Set your heart on your job and ask the Lord to give you wisdom. Lord, how do I get along with a boss that mistreats me? How do I love him when he doesn't love me? How do I do good for the company when the company oppresses me? Do you know that that's how the Bible is written? The Bible is written to people who really want to do the right thing, and it teaches them how to do it and what to do if they mess up. So set your heart on your job and say, God, lead me in the paths of righteousness here for your namesake. Hallelujah. Now, whatever category you're in, would you just pray right now? Come on. If you need Jesus, pray. If you want to make it right with God, pray. If you're going to set your heart on some goals in your life, pray for his wisdom and his guidance. We're spirit-led people. We believe that the spirit will lead us. Hallelujah. 30 seconds in God's presence can change your life. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. I set my heart on you. Lord, I want to be the husband that you called me to be. No excuses. When I mess up, show me, Jesus, so that I can make it right. Let me demonstrate humility before my children and wife. And let me show them, God, a righteous man, a holy man. I don't want to be a hypocrite to my children, Lord. Set my life in order, God. I want to do what you called me to do. Today, as we get ready to close out, I'm going to pray for you. And I want you to make this your prayer, as I'm praying it for you. That if you didn't get anything else today from the whole entire message, that you would get this in your heart. That God so loved the world that he sent his only son so that whoever believes in him will not perish have eternal life. I'm going to pray today that you'll have life and life abundantly in all that you do. Because this is what God called us to do. He said the thief, he only comes to steal, kill, and destroy. But Jesus came to give you life and an abundance of it. That's my prayer for you and for me, God, as we get ready to roll out of here today to do all that we got on our agendas to do. May we do it in your perfection, in your righteousness, in your holiness. May we live our lives to the standard you called us to live them at. And Lord, if we should fall, may we be quick to repent, to live up to that, God. And one day, Lord, we look forward to you coming back, giving us a new body and dwelling with you forever and ever and ever. In Jesus' name, if you believe it, can I hear an amen? If you believe heaven is real, come on, give God a hand clap. Would you slap your neighbor high five and say, I want to see you there. 
God bless you. You are dismissed. Thank you for coming today. If you want to pray with us for anything, come on up. Or if you just want to worship in the after party, let's do it. God bless you. God is good. I want to see you there. I want to see your glorified body, baby. Come on, we're lifting it up today. If you need prayer.